Welcome to the Mammoth Training Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Willie. And today's episode is brought to you by Office Evolution. If you need office space, but you don't want to buy a huge, expensive office, maybe check out Office Evolution. Today, I'm joined by Brad Reba from Reignite. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing great, Nick. Thanks, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. So you're uh, you're in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Awesome. Hey, tell me tell me about that. How's it like living? What's it like living there? Well, I think Pittsburgh right now is getting a little bit more. You know, fall. Not not quite winter yet, but de- but definitely turning cold. You can start to see the changes. Uh, so it's you get all four seasons out here, and uh, Pittsburgh is a really interesting community and, and city to live in because you've got sort of the blue collar roots of the city, but it's definitely grown a lot. Um, I think a lot of times when people get the idea of Pittsburgh in their mind, they get one image and then you get here and you realize the industry has really picked up and it's, it's built on technology, on healthcare and um, financial as well. So there's, there's a component of, of, of entrepreneurship and technology growth here that I just don't think people expect. And it's really, a huge part of the Pittsburgh economy. That's awesome. And you grew up there, right? I grew up here since um, really junior high, high school, um, the later part of, of my, my formative years. Uh, but I actually grew up uh, down south uh, in, in South Florida. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and lived in South Florida for many years and um, grew up in, in Broward County, uh, actually, and then came up here as just a part of his, you know, still in in school, like I said, and my, my dad's family is up here. Uh, my mom's family is the, the, are the Floridians. And so uh, we just kind of spent the time from junior high, high school, and then I went to college here at University of Pittsburgh. And I met my now wife at, at Pitt. So, um, and she's born and raised here. And it's, uh, you know, kind of been our story that we're going to be here uh, for, for a while. And, and it's been great because, I mean, this is a great place to raise a family. Uh, we've got three great kids, and um, it's it's been a good experience. Like I said, this is a great community and uh, place to build a business. Awesome. So you came out of high school, and you, did you go right into Pittsburgh University from high school? Uh, I did, yeah. So I, I right out of um, high school here, went to University of Pittsburgh, and that was kind of where I wanted to go. Uh, there's a long family history and legacy uh, in, in my family. of The uh, Reba's in Pitt. Uh, as it's affectionately called. So, yeah, there was uh, actually my, my, my dad was pretty open about as far as where I could go, but the, he just said, as long as it's not uh, my money going to Penn State or West Virginia, uh, anything else is, is fair game. And, uh, but I, I really, yeah. Those are your rivals. Those are the rivals for sure. Um, and, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of growing up in a family that, that revered everything that was associated with, with Pitt and including the athletics and even in the years when it wasn't so, uh, you know, so much of a championship team, but uh, really just the, the community as well. Pitt has a lot going on that reaches into, into healthcare, into philanthropy, into just really community development. So it's hard not to be really enthusiastic about all of the things that, that university brings. Yeah, for sure. Now, what did you, did you go into study health or, or what did you go into study? I, I, uh, my background is in computer engineering. And, uh, you know, I think 
if you'd asked me in high school where I was going to go, in fact, all signs pointed to I was going to be a musician, actually. Um, I was in the a band. Uh, I, was, I, I played saxophone, played tenor saxophone in the band. And I, I started that in, in junior high because I, I was... I needed something. I had to either do the band or choir, and as most people that would not be would not want to hear me sing, so I I picked up a a clarinet initially because uh, it's what we had as an instrument in the house, and there was an opportunity to join the jazz band, and I really wanted to do that, but I was informed that in my school at least there were no clarinets in the jazz band, so I was like, well, what else do you need? And like we got a ton of alto saxes, we don't play tenor, and tenor, as I found out, was was actually about half of the notes are the same fingers. It's the same uh, way to do it if you're on a playing this those notes on a clarinet versus a saxophone. So it wasn't that hard of a transition. They're in the same key. So I picked it up pretty well. I took some lessons as well. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And, and it was something that I thought music was going to be my career as I started playing more and I started writing music. And I actually went to a music camp the one year and uh you know it's it just it's one of those things that i think early on i was i was sort of talked into it as a hobby and not so much as a career option uh, so i did make sure that when i did go to pit i was in the mar- marching band and i was in the varsity marching band all four years it was a great experience i still go back as alumni and play in the band and march on the field and it's just it's really given me a lot of great experiences to meet other people and i find that the creativity and the things that you need to do in order to play music, um, even even if it's not a, a you know thing that you do professionally, translates in other areas of, of business and life. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. <clears throat> Seems like it would take a lot of discipline. Absolutely, yeah, because uh, it's it's one of those things where you know you you can pick up an instrument and you can start to figure out your way around it. But the ones that really get good are the ones willing to put in the practice, right, and continuing to work on the areas where you're not good. And that was something that I learned with music that I then applied in other areas of my life. So when we talk about computer engineering, the reason I went into that was one at the time in the late nineties, you know, the software, it, it was, was a growing field and the opportunity to find something as a, an engineer would, would be a, I felt like a great career opportunity. And, and, you know, the thing was that there were certain things about computers that came naturally to me. And I had to work on the things that didn't in order to really excel in that career. I, I couldn't just stay comfortable doing the things I knew how to do uh, because it really wouldn't have contributed to my growth. And so I had to kind of learn how to find people that would really do well in areas that I struggled in, in classes, um, just in general in terms of their, their mindset and the way that they uh, develop products and learn from them and work from them. Wow. Yeah. So. You said you didn't you didn't expect to go into a career in computer software and computer engineering. Tell me how that transition happened. Yeah, so I mean, initially, like I said, I, I was thinking more along the lines of music, but I think I got some uh, influence about what makes a, a sustainable career. And, and really, I, I understood logically that there's a difference between making money and making a living. And so the chances were going to be stacked a little bit against me on, on the music side. I think, you know, if I really was committed to it, uh, to the point where I said, this is what I've got to do and this is my path, I would have, I probably would have gotten the uh, support as well. But I did have this other 
interest and this other side of me that, that understood technology really well and knew how to use it to build products and programs. And so it was like, well, let me see what I can do with this as well and sort of keep the music as something that I still do, but, but more off to the side. And like I said, at that time, really software companies, this is all, you know, early, early internet, right? So, so there's not a lot of um, the, the, the big companies that, that, that we think of today, um, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, right? Google, the, these are not the leaders at the time that I'm starting, but software is a growing industry and, and really starting to take shape and take form. Um, it's really the IBM uh, of the world and, and Xerox and those that were leading the charge at the time. But it still was seen as, as like, this is the field, if you know, you know software and you know computers really well, this is a field where you can really build a strong, solid career. Yeah, so you were you were kind of early on into your um, your career or college uh, going through this when yeah. the Y two K thing hit, right? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So tell me, ninety nine, and then this was like the, one of the first things that um, you know my early job that we started to work on was we got to prepare for Y two K. So, in your in your professional opinion, since you're a professional in that space, yeah. Was it overblown in the media at all, or was it literally like the world's going to end if we don't fix this? Because that's how everybody acted. I remember very clearly being 2021, 19 and 20, when this was like the buzz. Everything on the media was like, oh, my gosh, the banks are going to collapse. Everything's going to, you know. So tell me what really happened in, in your experience going through that. Yeah. So was it overblown? Yes and no. I mean, it, it, there were some real consequences to the clock rollover effect. And so for those that, that, that you know, were born a little bit later, the whole issue with, with Y2K was that we were going into a year 2000, and up until then, all the dates were represented by the last two digits in the year. And that was thought that we were going to be fine, and, and um, unfortunately, obviously, we run out of years once we hit the turn of the century. And so all of these systems that were set up with a clock looking at the last two, they were concerned that it was going to roll over and, and you know, just some cases, unpredictable behavior, potentially. And like you said, everything from bank shutting down to systems that ran the infrastructure and like your, your heat and your, your electric, just not operating. So it, it forced a lot of people to look at their systems and go through the maintenance cycle in an expedited way. But in reality, the computer systems are pretty resilient. And what we found as we went through some of these processes is that what we were doing was really just kind of safeguarding and shoring up systems. I, I don't think that we were going to have this widespread catastrophic failure that was predicted. But there were consequences that could have transpired had we not taken the right measures and, and gotten things aligned properly with you know, now the modern day uh, computer clocks. Interesting. So <clears throat> when it comes to like, like all of us in business have had problems, challenges that come up, right? So how do you, what, what is, do you have like a, a framework or a certain process that you go through mentally and physically that over to help you overcome problems? How do sure. you deal with problems? Sure. That's a good question. And, and really in software development, it's all about problems. What, what I found out early on in my, college years 
was that you know the, the problems that I learned how to solve when I thought I was good at programming were not the ones that I was going to be paid to solve. Um, because as soon as I kind of got out of the classroom and into my first internship or co-op, um, I was being asked to create programs that were part of other embedded systems. So that means that they were working as part of an electronic device. And you know, so you had to worry about the, the circuit side of it. And you had to worry about the actual software in the device. And all of these things that we were trying to develop hadn't been done before. So, you know, it's like the one of one of my early jobs was working for a medical device company that produced a CPAP device. So CPAP is the device that if you have sleep apnea, it provides an airway splint, if you will, and that provides the support that your upper airway needs to breathe when you normally would collapse and, and, and have, a, you know, what sounds like bad snoring, but you're actually stopping your airway, actually stop breathing several times a night. So CPAP is an interesting problem to solve because you've got a patient breathing on the other side of this mask, you know, at a pretty heavy level, and you're trying to keep the constant pressure on the other side consistent the whole way. So there's like multiple problems you're trying to solve simultaneously, both physical and digital. And uh, there's no book to look up that answer. There's no one you're going to ask. Even, even in today's world, um, you're going to get some help from, from Google and maybe even from, a, you know, from an AI that would be able to give you a slight head start on the algorithm. But there's nothing that's going to fix it in a way that iterative testing process will. And that's one of the things that I think might get overlooked when you're getting into a software career is that as much as you get good at the development of the program, you have to be even better at testing your program and, and understanding its limits and how you can break it so that you can make it more robust. Hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So when you guys were developing this stuff, did you test it in-house or did you farm it to you know a, a health facility to get them to test it? How did that work? Yeah, so we actually did both. We um, we tested it. I should say there's there were three three things. First of all, it was sort of like a bench test. So literally on my you know my desk, my workstation, I would work on some you know throw some digital inputs and outputs and try to simulate what that response was and see if it worked. And then you know it can't just work here in Pittsburgh. It's got to be able to work down at sea level and it's got to be able to work up in the you know highest mountain areas where the pressure is different. The relative pressure is in the air. So we had to take it into a, a temperature chamber and pressure chamber and make sure that it still operated within the specs in that environment. And then what you were talking about, you have to go and put it on a physical patient, right? You have to put it in the clinical setting and make sure that a, a human patient can actually breathe on this device and get therapy and get relief. So from multiple angles, uh, and every time we did it, by the way, we had to make adjustments, right? It never worked the same in the in the bench as it did in the lab, as it did in the clinic. Um, and that's something that, you know, always takes a, a mindset that you're just going to have to push through those problems. That's going to be part of the development process. And you kind of have to just get good with that idea and, and be willing to push through until you get the final solution. So... How how did you learn to continue pushing through even when things get difficult? You know, continue pushing and continue pushing. What what kind of training did you get in that? Anything? Well, I think that part of it is just you know training your mind to find the opportunity. So early on, I, I really tried to find 
people in my life that would be a mentor for me, even virtually. Um, so I started looking at other people that were successful and used their mindset to push through problems. Not necessarily in the in the venue of software, although I did study uh, people like Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos and, and, and who were starting to really come into their own at the time. Michael Dell, who was also um, very well regarded at that time. Um, and so I, I read some things that, that they had published and, and understood their story. Um, and then I also looked at people that had made a success of themselves in other areas of business by pushing through you know, people like Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone. And that was actually the first time that I had heard of Grant was was in that area, like early 2000s-ish, um, when he was still out in California. And just because I was always looking for people that had a positive mindset and used that as a catalyst to help them in whatever area of business they were in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, he talked a lot about, and he still does, but about seeing problems as opportunities. And right. in your space, that would have been like music to your ears. Like you probably needed to hear that every day. Yeah. If there's no problems, you don't have a job in the software industry, really. Because, yeah. you know, then, then then what are you doing, right? So you, you always need problems to solve. And that's what keeps you gainfully employed. So I, I have embraced that mindset pretty early on. Um but, you know, it's interesting you asked that, like, where did you learn that? If I, if I really go back to um, early, like, when I started forming my mindset, I came from, a, unfortunately, a very positive upbringing. And I think that my parents both have that, that trait or that, that mindset or that gene, if you will, that tends to look at the world as that there's, there's opportunities out there. And the problems are just ways to approach it and get through. Um, a, a lot of time informed by by faith, and so I had a very strong faith upbringing. Um, my, my my parents are both Catholic. Actually, my my mom has a uh, she she grew up Jewish. She grew up in a Jewish house, and uh, but very early on embraced uh, Christianity and, and, and Catholicism. And when she and my dad got married, she converted. And I would always say that she was one of the most dedicated to the, the faith and, and, and I would say very influential mm-hmm. as I was growing up, just kind of seeing her singing in church and, and you know, she was taught in a Catholic school. And um, so I had a very positive experience early on, not so much because of the, the catechism or the, the instruction of religion, but because what it represented is was, was like the ultimate, um, you know, problem, right. Of, of, how do you get through all of the issues in, in the world where it, it can drag you down to the point of, um, you know, just, just suffering and all the things that are there? And, and the answer was always to look to your faith and, and, and understand that you're here for a purpose and you need to really embrace that purpose and honor it. And it's how you serve others that is going to and, and, and carry that work out that is going to make your life and theirs better. And I think that's something that has stuck with me early on. Um, and so, you know, as, as my parents grew up, I watched them approach problems in that way and, and, and treat them as these are opportunities to reach out and serve others and, and not really so much worry about where it's taking me, have the faith that it's taking me in the right place and that I'm going to end up better for it and the people around me are as well. So that, that's something that I think, you know, sort of informed the way that I look on, on uh, other things in life. And, and those are the, the mentors I sought out as an adult later on. 
Yeah, that's that's amazing. You know, one thing about faith, uh, you'll probably agree, and even Grant has talked about this, but like you got to know that there's more than just you, right? You got to know we're not in this just for ourselves. And for people that don't realize that, I, you know, I just, I don't know how you could have peace in the world without knowing like we're here to help others. It's just, you know. Yeah, agreed. And, and it, I'll, I'll be, you know, completely honest with you. It's, it's something I've struggled with as I got later in life. I mean, I've seen a lot of things that just made me question really what, how much I, I believe in, in everything that I was brought up in. Um, so I'll tell you the other half of the story is that, you know, my, my birth mom, I had my birth mom because my, my dad's now remarried, but my, my mom had, had passed away before I turned 10. And so I, it was really a, just a jarring experience for me. Um, you know, I still remember a lot of what happened that day and, and, and um, it really changed me for a while because this was the person that I looked up to as, as you know, talk about a teacher. She was my teacher in school. She was my teacher in life, wow. teacher in the faith. And that connection was just gone. Mm-hmm. I was sure I was, you know, I wasn't going to get to see her again. And, and, and it was, it wasn't, you know, all these things that you would think it's not fair. It's why me. Um, and my dad really stayed strong in his faith. And I remember a lot of times just kind of sitting and praying with him and, and, and thinking about what this is for us. And, you know, he had said that this is something for us to embrace as as a challenge to figure out who we were in the world and how we were going to, to live and go beyond this, right? And, and what we were going to do with the three of us at that point, because I have a brother, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, carry on. And what I learned later on taught me a lot about the human connection side of life and, and some things that I overlooked because... I was sure that that this connection I, I was the most formative of my life was gone forever. And what I found over time as I started to meet the people that my mother touched and the, and the people whose lives she really made an impact in, they had stories that I never heard. And I got to meet her all over again through their stories in a way that I just didn't expect. Um, wow. and, and sort of taught me over life, uh, over the time that, you know, we are really a sum of the people that we reach out to and, and connect with. And that's that's how we continue on, even though we may not be here physically. It's through the stories and through the experiences and the people whose lives we touch that really have an impact in us and, and decide, you know, what we're leaving on the, our mark on the world. And I think it, it, yeah, it forced me to take another look at the way I view my relationships with other people and my relationship with my, my faith and myself. Mm, wow. That's powerful, man. Yeah. I mean, what a good lesson for your dad to talk, to teach you too. I mean, seriously, you know, and, and that's good for anybody out there, right? When you go through hard times, yeah. it's not about what you go through. It's about how you respond to it. Absolutely. You know? So yeah. that's incredible. So you're, you know, if I was asked to ask you, you know, what's your, why, what would you say? I mean, in, in general, it's it's to try to carry out that legacy that I was handed over to me, which was one of service. I mean, like I said, if my, my mother's remembered for anything, it's the way that she served others and just selflessly gave and was very generous. And so I try to carry that on in whatever I'm doing. So as I've gotten into higher areas of my career and, and progressed in leadership, 
I've always looked at leadership as a calling, as, as an opportunity to serve others. So I don't believe in the traditional corporate top-down leadership of like, you know, you work for me and, and, and you serve my interests. I look at it the other way around is how can I help you and how can we work together so that the person that's, that's on my team, and that's the way I look at it, we're in this together. I want to help you get to where you want to go in your career, and thereby we're going to work together to help this company go where it needs to. And I think that when you start from that place of mutual uh, respect and and understanding, then you can really achieve some some great things that other teams just can't match. But the other thing is that you have a genuine relationship with that person to where they know you care about the person first in a real way. And I think that's that's something that I have always kind of taken with me is no matter what I've done, whether it's you know, now where I'm, I'm actually teaching other business owners how to grow and scale businesses like, like I've done in software or being in the software business where I'm a leader of a team and try to help them scale the company while also building a product, while also seeing them advance in their own individual careers, is always trying to figure out how I can be a better uh, servant leader, if you will, and, and try to help build, um, you know, better, uh, better outcomes for everyone. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I like to say, um, you know, bosses basically want to make their surroundings better with everybody that works for them. And leaders want to make everyone around them better than they are. Yeah, that's true. I I agree with that. And I I think, you know, the other part of that is that as a leader, you're self-reflective enough to know that you don't have all the answers. In fact, you don't want to be the one that has all the answers because then you're not growing. Um, so I think you want to bring people into onto the team that are going to fill in the gaps that you have. And unless you can see what those gaps are, you're not going to know. You're going to bring in a bunch of people that talk like you and act like you and think like you. And the problem is that you're going to have the same gaps magnified now because all of the things that you know you overlook are, are continue to be overlooked by that by the people that you bring on, and they're only telling you the things that you want to hear. So you're going to go in that direction, whether it's the right way or the wrong way. Um, and, and really, it's it's something where you have to kind of start with yourself and be able to look honestly at the opportunities for your own improvement and find people that are going to be a culture add, not just a culture fit, but a culture add and, and build in and sort of fill in the gaps that you have with yourself and your company. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You know, a lot of people try to, it seems they try to hire people to replicate what they can do. And that's great um, in a way, but you also have to look for people, like you said, that have opposing skills. So if you can replicate your process, but bring people that have opposing and, and you know skills that complement you, then they can learn the process and be better than what than you were at it, right? I want people to be better than I am at what I teach. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would expect too. I mean, the, the, the reality is that no matter what your position is in the company, it's always temporary and you have to approach it that way. And so the only way that you or the company are going to scale and grow is if you're willing to embrace that and figure out how you can help make what is there better than what you found it. Right. So leave it better than you found it. But that means that the team and, and the operation as well, has to surpass what you could have done yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get past the ego and get past the, 
the idea, well, I, I'm doing great. I, you know, why, why wouldn't it uh, be successful with just my own efforts? But in reality, we're all limited in some way, and we're all better off to have a team that can work with us and magnify our efforts and also fill in the gaps at the same time. And that's really how you know any business or effort achieves success. Yeah. So tell me about your uh, the software company that you you own a software company, right? Yeah, so I'm a co-founder in in a company, Brinsys, and so it's regulatory uh, information management software. And so regulatory software is something that is new to the medical device industry, and and not really. Um, I, I think it's it's definitely a growing market, but not really the way that traditionally the medical device solves regulatory problems. Uh, typically, you know, you see a lot of maturity in the in the RIM market or regulatory um, management systems in pharma and pharmaceuticals. But medical devices starting to catch up. Uh, they traditionally would solve it by just trying to brute force, just sort of bring on an army of consultants and, uh, you know, a lot of color-coded Excel spreadsheets to try to manage global products across the world. And, and you know, we, we saw this all the time. Uh, the, the founder of our, our company, you know, my, my business partner here, um, James, had recognized early on as a, um, you know, leader in regulatory, kind of leading global regulatory for uh, large multinational uh, companies that then publicly traded multi-billion dollar um, still didn't have the mature systems. You would think with all those resources, they would have this sophisticated regulatory system, but they didn't. And um, so recognizing that gap, he understood the business problem probably better than anybody, I would still say today, is one of the more formative uh, minds in the regulatory space. And he looked at it as a problem to solve, not just by like, how can I get more people and move faster, but how can I do this more efficiently? So I think he kind of came up with this concept, looking at other similar ERP and CRM softwares and figuring how can I apply that to, um, to regulatory? And uh, I was fortunate enough to get to work with him uh, back in the medical device space. So we worked, uh, like I said, when I was at this uh, company that we, we, we produced CPAPs and other sleep therapy devices. He and I worked together back then. And so as he was forming the idea for RIMSYS, contacted me and said, you know, Brad, I think I've got this really, you know, there's this concept that, that is going to change the way that medical device companies go through the regulatory pathway and get products to market. It's going to make them more efficient. They're going to get more products to the patients that need them. I have one problem. I finally got customers and I'm not quite sure how to get their data connected in a way that's going to make this system work the way I envisioned it. And I wonder if you can help me with that. And so, wow. again, talking about where you, you can sort of fill in the gaps and help each other out, I came in and provided some technical expertise where, you know, James really had, I think, every other piece figured out. And he had, honestly, like most of the technical problem figured out, too, to be honest. I think, I think uh, there was just kind of like that last mile, if you will, where he really wanted to make sure we did it right, especially since early on we started to get customers that, you know, are enterprise global customers that you can't screw this up and so one it's helped me you know the last mile of the product let's get everything connected and then also build a team because we knew that as this thing is going to scale it can't just rely on one person or even two people we're going to have to build a development team a, a go-to-market team and implementation customer service like the whole operation and you know that's something that 
we just kind of started working together and it, and it evolved from there to the point where this idea became, you know, a, an actual product. And then two guys, you know, starting in a co-working space became a company of uh, 40 plus and, and, you know, continuing to scale. And um, it, it's just something amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really amazing. Nicely done. So it, I, yeah, it, it, again, it takes, it takes a team and it takes a, a lot of, of, you know, sticking with the problem. Like we talked yeah. about, we've, we've had many issues uh, along the way, ups and downs that I think um, any business that's trying to scale from, from ground zero would face, but all of them we looked at as the opportunity to get better and continue to serve our customers in, in a more meaningful way. So how long ago did you start that company? Or did you join it? Yeah, so James had started it like five, six years, I think, uh, from the idea to the initial uh, prototype formation. And then I've been with them officially four years as part of the operation. I actually started like as a consultant. I just kind of came on board and said, I don't know how much you know you can pay me or where this is going to go. So I'm going to join as a consultant and we'll just kind of work it out from there. So it would have been um, early 2019. So like I said, yeah, like, like four on oh, almost. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. How many clients do you guys have now? Well, we, we've been growing and scaling um, pretty significantly since we started. And um, although we don't disclose all of that publicly, um, I, I can tell you that we have um, a, a large majority of the top 10, top 20 medical device companies in the world working with RIMSYS using wow. our system to uh, yeah, navigate the regulatory pathway and get their devices to market more quickly. And, uh, the, you know, the, the names that we're working with are on our website. Um, yeah. The contractual reasons, I don't, I don't say them on, on, yeah, on no a no, I guess. Yeah, but, but I think, Many you know. companies, a lot of companies, that's fair to say. All know the names. I mean, yeah, like I said, yeah. you go to our website at, at, at rimsys.io and, and you'll see um, the kinds of people that we're working with. Like I said, multinational companies. Go, go Today, when, you, when you're, you unfortunately have to go to the doctor's office or if you ever go through the, the hospital, all of the names that you see, that's one thing that I, I think it's, it's been interesting as I, you know, I've got kids, so obviously I've got to navigate the health system at some point. They get sick. That's just part of life. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in general, as I start to go through that, I've noticed how many companies we touch because I'm like, oh, I know that one, I know that one, that one's our customers. Is that one your branding like in their building somewhere? No, so they don't use the branding. We're not really in the health system so much as the distribution and regulatory space of the network. So mm -hmm. in order to get a device into the marketplace, you have to go through the regulatory pathway in that particular country. So obviously here in the U.S., that's the FDA, but there's several ministries of health and health authorities throughout the world, and you have to meet their criteria for safe and effective use. And until you prove that, you'll, you, you can only get things distributed for for clinical or what are called compassionate use, where it's sort of like, you know, experimental or, or compassionate use where, where someone's like, you know, the, this is the therapy that's going to help them, but we haven't fully proved it in the market. Um, once you get, though, that regulatory approval, mm -hmm. now you can go full, fully commercial, um, you know, distribute to any of those areas in the world. And that's really what a lot of companies are striving for, especially early on in, in a medical device startup. I mean... A lot of them, they raise some venture capital and they are banking everything on that first regulatory clearance. And if you don't get it, I'll go home. Um, but if yeah. you get it, it's 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 a, it's that's the ticket. Wow. 
Talk about uh, tumultuous. I bet that's just a constant, just roller coaster of emotion. Like, okay, we got a problem to solve. We solved that one. Now we're stoked. Now we got yep. this other one. So you're probably yeah. never bored, Brad. No, never at all. And I mean, I've, I've, I've been in the medical device space. Like I said, I've done it in the large industry and in startups. So I've seen it. I've seen what it takes to build a, a company from nothing mm-hmm. several times, even before starting, you know, and, and joining this company as a co-founder. And, and so I think understanding the risks, but also the fortitude that you have to have to stick with it and, and grow despite the odds has served me well and, and just continued to inform the way that I show up in, in work. Nice. Um, when it comes to, you know, we, we talk about the haters, right? In business, anytime you go out of your comfort zone on a broad scale, somebody's not going to be happy with it, right? Somebody's going to, going to give you some crud about something. Have you ever dealt with that? And how do you, how do you deal with it? Does it affect you much or? Um, yeah, I've, of course I've dealt with it, but I, I don't know that it affects me, um, a lot. I, it was one of the things that as I got more involved in, being in a, in a position where my thoughts and my words were put out there in the public space that I, I became a little more um, exposed to it. Mm-hmm. So early on, a lot of my early career, especially in engineering, we're kind of pushed to the back there. We don't, don't talk to customers. We don't talk to people you know, in software development. As I got more into areas of leadership and having to deal directly with the customer and being in customer-facing roles, and especially now, being in a position where my words and, and a lot of the thought, you know, we try to be a thought leader as well as, as a software uh, product, that's out there. And so there's definitely been criticisms that we've, that we've faced and I've, I've faced over the, um, that time. But, you know, I, I think because early on I formed a, a pretty healthy relationship on, on my own with my self-worth and, and what I believe and my values, I sort of let that be my my guide, and so for better or worse, I'm not really, uh, I guess, driven by what others think of me. I certainly factor that in, and I want to, from my customer standpoint, I, w- I want to make sure that they are they're satisfied, not just satisfied, but they're just you know excited about what we're doing for them, and they're really uh, getting a great experience. And I do care that the reputation I bring is one of, of someone that, that, like I said, is thinking of others first and serving others, but also someone that's a high performer. And But I just figure the work is going to speak for itself. And so I've never been one to really promote myself or, or really get out there. I think that was one of the toughest things for me to learn how to do was to talk in public or talk on social media or, or start to express myself in a way that was a little more public-facing. Not so much because I... Uh, of, of what reaction I got back, but just more so because I didn't want it to be seen as, as bragging or, or being, you know, just overly, I don't know, out yeah. there. And, uh, arrogance is a good word, yeah, but I just, you know, I've sort of felt, like I said, the work would speak for itself. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, as I, what I've found, though, is that it actually is as important, if not more so, to tell people what you're doing and express it in a way that, that shows the value because um, one of the things we learned early on with Remsys was that just having the best product in the market was not going to sell it, right? And, and we do, absolutely. I mean, there's, and this is not just coming from us. This is coming from 
our customers. This is coming from industry experts that have looked at us versus what else is out there. And it's really the only holistic uh, product on the market. That, and when we say that, it means it fully uh, manages the entire regulatory pathway from the point of new product introduction to full commercial uh, distribution. And there are a lot of products out there that can handle a piece of that operation, but never the whole thing. And we've really addressed it from all angles. But that alone wasn't going to get the response that we've seen. We had to be able to go out in the marketplace and show the value and tell our story. And then as our customers got success, tell their story and make sure that it was clear that this is something that is a game changer. And that's something that I sort of learned along the way and have applied that a little more readily now, uh, getting some comfort level with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, there was a quote, I don't know who, whose quote it was, but it was on LinkedIn and a guy posted it and it said, make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who will brag about you in a room that you're not in. I mean, I think that's so important because you know, I, I totally feel what you're saying, like talking about yourself and, you know, that was really weird for me as well. Um, it, it's not comfortable for a lot of people, but if if you're serving enough people that are super happy, then they will talk about your company. And I think that's almost more powerful. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the key is that others should be able to speak uh, on your behalf, like you said, and, and tell a great story about the service you're providing and the person that you are and what you're doing, even when you're not there. Um, and I think that I also look at teams the same way is that, you know, I, I appreciate that over the years I've been fortunate to have team members that have reached out and said to me that it was really great working with me and, and, and that I influenced their career for the positive in some way. But I also look at what they've achieved since we've parted ways. We've gone different ways in our careers and I could see them getting promoted into other areas of the business or achieving new uh, success stories in their, in their career. And I feel like if I've helped make them better in some way, then that, that to me is more important than individual opinions about what I've done or not done. Um, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never gonna get it right 100% of the time. And I recognize that. And I feel like that's part of the learning process. And so if people wanna criticize part of the learning process, then I don't think they understand fully what it takes to be successful, is, is that you have to be willing to take the risk, even if you know that you may not get it right, you need to be able to stick with the problem and keep solving it and keep solving it and sort of, you know, recognize that, yeah, you're right, I screwed that up. That's, and that's part of the process, you know, that, that I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not okay with that being the end of the story, right? Yeah. I need to you working through it, but I'm okay with the fact that it didn't work the first time or the second time or the third, because I am really invested in the process and trying to continually learn something along the way. Yeah, you're a problem solver. Right. That's what entrepreneurs are. You use the word entrepreneur. A lot of folks don't really understand what that word means. Can you define that word for us? So I think an entrepreneur is really someone that's willing to take a risk. And I think this might be pretty close to the actual definition, but I think it is someone that, that's willing to take a risk and do something that's not proven in order to create a gain, to create something of value. Mm -hmm. And so that's my definition. I think I might be pretty close, but I, I, I think that the difference between an entrepreneur and sort of a, a traditional business leader or someone who's more uh, inclined to be in, in a, a situation where there's less risk involved, there's more 
um, more things that are, that are there as a safety net for you, or it's not really looking at the end value because until that thing that you're creating, and it could even be a nonprofit, right? There's got to be value driven on the other side of that service. Um, that really is the key to entrepreneurship. And I think it's that iterative process of getting there and understanding that it there is risk involved and there isn't a uh, you know one and done uh, overnight success story that you're going to be able to achieve. Um, you have to be willing to adapt and learn along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're an overnight success 20 years in the making, right? Sure, right, absolutely. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no get uh, rich quick out there really, so. No. Um, tell me about Reignite. What made you start it? Uh, what was kind of the motivation for that? And where are you at in the process at this point? Yeah, so I mean, very early on at this point in the process. And so the, this really became something that I've wanted to do for a while. I've, I've been in consulting, not so much traditional business, uh, you know, traditional business consulting more so than coaching. And along the way, as I've built my career and, and helped build a company, um, a lot of times I end up having these coffee meetings or just kind of general calls about, well, how did you do that? You know, how did you guys build that software company or how did you turn a product into actual sales? In my career, as I've gone into leadership, I've, I've been able to fortunately um, help mentor everyone from students. I've gone back to, to Pitt and actually been a mentor with, with some of the, the students there in the uh, computer science department, as well as people earlier on in their career and people I've worked with. And, and along the way, it just you know seems like I keep giving around the same types of, of advice about what you need to do to apply yourself, how you need to continually learn, how you need to try to solve problems and just sort of embrace the process. And I felt like this is something that could be an extension of who I am in my career. And, you know, at the point now where Rimsys is at the point where we've scaled significantly, my role in there is, is going to be changing and, and has continued to evolve. And we looked at where we are in the business, right? And we've, we've, we've scaled significantly from, from the time where we were a startup, right? I think, you know, just really young, young uh, company just started to figure out who we were to the point now where we've got investor backing. Uh, we, we, we've been able to raise venture capital and we're looking at continuing to look uh, for opportunities to grow organically as well as by additional capital raises as well as, you know, potentially acquisitions, all these things that, that, that are going to be part of our next step. And so the question becomes, again, it's self-reflective. I've got helped us get it to this point, right? I've, I've been able to be a, a strong business partner, both uh, from a business planning and strategic standpoint, all the way through the operational piece. Am I the best person to get us to the next break point, right? So it's like, if I'm getting us to a certain market annual revenue and we're trying to scale from, let's just use some round numbers. So it's like, if I'm trying to get to the next, to the 10 million um, to a hundred million dollar break point, I haven't done that, right? I mean, honestly, this is my first go round as chief technology officer, as co-founder of a company. And so I think we've scaled successfully in some cases, despite that lack of experience. And so at some point you have to say, do I want to continue to grow while learning on the job? Or do I want to bring in someone that can accelerate our growth, right? And really that's been there before that knows how to scale to that next level breakpoint, right? If we're going to be a platform company, $100 million and beyond, who's done that? 
So we've been actually re, um, you know, sort of sort of reimagining what that leadership team looks like and bringing in people that are going to replace the position that I started out in this company. So I've actually had to kind of step to a different role and say, well, I, I think I'm good at some other things in, in RIMSYS, like uh, developing technology partnerships and being sort of the engineering sales arm of the company and running a lot of the technology solutions side of the business, more so than the day-to-day engineering operations. And in doing so, it sort of changed my day-to-day role and what I've been asked to do and the way that I have to show up. And so it left me thinking, what can I do with the experience that I've gained in a way that's going to add value to others in their business, right? How can I help them not bump into the same walls that I did or come up against the same challenges and scale? So in the same way that I'm bringing someone in that has greater experience on the technical side of things, that's done things that I haven't done yet to accelerate our business, I feel like I can help accelerate early entrepreneurs that are struggling to figure out how to get to that, you know, first 100K or first million dollar in sales because I've done that. Yeah. And I've built scale companies and we've got the balance sheet and the, and the, and the income to prove it um, yeah. that I, I've, I've helped scale companies to that size and beyond and know what to look for as well as what to watch out for. And that's something that I feel like is valuable information as well as helping use my mindset to coach others to get through those tough times um, and inspire them with any experience I can share along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I found, and you've probably found this too, uh, Brad, we talked about this before, but, you know, if you figure out a system or you or you learn a system, you can replicate yeah. it. Right. You can replicate your results. So, I mean, it's all about learning a system and replicating it. Well, I, I agree. And then it's also learning that you're going to have to build a system in order to scale. And, and I think that's something that it took me a little while in my career and in the company's uh, evolution to learn was that it's, it can't be all about me. Right. Or even that, you know, like a founder can't just get in their own way. Um, you have to be willing to sort of give up the job that you created for yourself and put a So, um, I may have lost you a little bit there, but I think that, uh, yeah, so to, to address that issue of, of growing and scaling, you need to put a system in place, right? You need to have the consistent and repeatable way of doing what you do, and it can't be about you. It can't be about your presence in the business. You have right. to be able to go beyond yourself, sort of take yourself out of that job that you created for yourself. And, and build a system that you can plug different people into and they're going to help you scale that business. And that's really something I think I had to learn the hard way and I, I feel like really informs a lot of what I coach to other business owners and entrepreneurs, how to get out of being that solopreneur to build a team. And you can't do that without a system. No, you can't. That brings me to a, a quick point about SOP, uh, SOP, so standard operating procedures, right? That's a huge thing. Uh, you know, if a client, even if a, an individual person like myself, I, right now, I, it's just me out there selling. As soon as I hire somebody, they're going to be lost unless I write my process down. So right. always, you know, businesses should always have their processes written down. Absolutely. So they yeah. can replicate. 
Yeah, it's the only way you're going to scale. Yeah. So, Brad, um, it's been wonderful talking to you. I, I just had a couple more questions for you. Uh, number one, when when it comes to reignite and starting your coaching company, what surprises you the most about it? Uh, I think what surprised me initially was just how much I would have to be sort of out in front of it and and very public in in terms of telling my story. And so, like I said, I initially always had been a guy that like my work's going to speak for itself, and the things that I've done, the reputation is going to really propel me. But even though I've developed a really strong a really strong business network over the years and I have a lot of great colleagues that I've gone into gone into business with and, and worked for in different companies. I had to really kind of get out there and tell them, hey, I'm doing something else and, and that's part of what my overall career is. But you know, if, if um, they don't know that, then it was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Brad started a podcast. I wonder what that's about. Oh, Brad's got this, you know, other social media. What's that about? So until I really put all the pieces together for them and kind of made sure it was a consistent uh, theme, it was, I think, hard for people initially to understand what I was doing because they've always sort of seen me as one thing, as the, you know, the, the software guy, the technical guy. Um, and until I sort of brought around the business application of that and some of the things that I've learned about business relationships and how to turn those you know, relationships into referrals and referrals into sales, and sort of leverage the, the business cycle of software. I don't know if everybody saw me in that light, so I had to sort of fill in the gaps for them that way. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what, my last question for you, I always ask this, or most of the time I ask this, but you know, what kind of legacy do you wanna leave when you are gone? That's a great question. Um, I, I really have to go back to the story with my, my mother and the fact that the legacy she left was one of service and one where other people could sort of carry on her story because she impacted them so much. And I think that that is really the way I want to be remembered is that, you know, first and foremost with my family, my kids and my wife and, and really with them to be better off than they would have been otherwise. And so they, they kind of carry some of the lessons and, and the, you know, influence that I've brought in a positive way through their lives, it helps them to better themselves. And then I would extend that out to people I've worked for and worked with and been a part of their lives, both personally and professionally, you know? And, and, and so I think their success is my success. I don't necessarily need to be remembered as a person, as a business uh, leader, as, as really anything other than someone that, that touched other people. And so their story, I think, is an extension of who I am. And so yes. by somehow, you know, influencing them or, or getting involved with them at the right time mm -hmm. to help them get to the next level, that's really, I think, the way that we're all remembered because, you know, I've, I've, I've often read and heard things. It's like, you know, at some point, all the things you've accumulated are going to go to somebody else. It might be in your family. It might be you know, someone you've never met. Strangers are going to live in your house, the one you've worked so hard to build and develop and decorate and put all these things. Yeah. You know, and, and we're maybe, if you're lucky, going to get a mention, a byline in, in some, you know, book or history somewhere. But most of us... Most of us are going to be carried on through the people whose lives we touched. 
Yeah. So I think that is a positive way that they remember me because it helped them, you know, in some way to add value to their lives. Right on, Brad. Well, how can people find you? Please uh, give us some links and stuff like that. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I'm on, on social media. Um, I've got my, my personals out there. If anyone wants to connect with me, and, and usually it's at Brad Reba. So on, on all on all handles, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, even TikTok. My kids have gotten me learning that. Um, but on TikTok and, and, and most of the other socials, um, including Twitter, now X, and um, and then on uh, Instagram, I have started Reignite as a handle. So it's Reignite with a Y, like my last name, right? So it's Reignite with a Y. Um, so Reignite.com or, or Reigniter is some of the, uh, I found out it was actually interesting. So there are some there are some handles out there already with Reignite. So, um, so Reignite.com and you'll, you'll see that on there. Um, 10X Business Coach and uh, got certified, uh, you know, around the same time as you and um, so that's that's the best way to reach out to me. I'm usually pretty responsive these days on, on social media. And um, yeah, always looking to collaborate with others. Awesome, Brad. Well, it's been just a joy having you on the show. I really appreciate it or on the podcast. And uh, thank you so much. You know, keep 10Xing, you know, keep getting keep getting it done out there. Yeah, thanks for having me. You keep, you keep on as well. And it's great to see your story and, and your progress as well. And I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to both look back at this and have to do the show again and, and talk about where we came from. Yeah, absolutely. We might need to do a, a business boot camp together too. I'm, I'm down for that. Let me know, man. All right. Have a good day. All right. All right you too. Thanks, Nick. Yep. See ya.